all this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible uh, with you, please do open it up to Luke uh, chapter 8. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 21. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Uh, this is God's word. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, wife of Chuzah, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, Jesus said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And Jesus said, as Jesus said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, uh, the meaning of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they do not believe and are saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For the to, one, to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mothers and brothers came to him, they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you speak to us through your word. And we pray, Father, as we come to this part of Luke's gospel, that you would help us to understand what Jesus is saying that our hearts and minds and lives uh, would be shaped by it. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, have you ever felt disappointed when you've tried to share the gospel with someone, but they've rejected it? 
Maybe you tried to share it with a friend or someone at work. Maybe you tried to share the gospel with a family member. And you, you, you want so badly for them to know Jesus, but they just seem to want to have nothing to do with it. If you've ever been in that situation, you'll know how disheartening it can feel. It can be heartbreaking. And it can also raise questions of self-doubt. Did I do something wrong? Is it, is it my fault that they rejected the gospel? It can be a challenging situation to face. But today as we look at Luke 8, Jesus tells us a parable that helps us think through this challenging situation. A parable that addresses the question of the different ways that people respond to gospel, how some reject it, and how others accept it. And it has a lot to teach us together today. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, have a look with me at Luke chapter 8 from verse 4. Uh, I know we read out from the ESV um, just before. We're going to be using the NIV up here. Uh, you'll notice slight differences in the words they use, but you'll notice uh, the message is the same. So Luke 8 from verses 4 to 6, it says this, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and birds ate it up. Some fell in rocky ground. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So that, in a nutshell, is Jesus' parable. You've got a farmer sowing seed, and it falls on four different places uh, with four different soils. The path, the rocky ground, among thorns, and good soil. But at first, uh, it, can be, it can be tricky because for a lot of us, this is a very familiar passage. But if you just look at those verses that we've read on their own, it's not actually clear at all what the parable means. What does the farmer represent? What does the seed represent? What are, what are each of the four soils? In fact, even Jesus' closest disciples are confused. And in verse 9, they asked him what the parable meant. And this raises an important question. Why does Jesus teach in parables? Why does he do that? Why does Jesus choose to teach in parables? You know, parables are stories that use metaphors to illustrate truth rather than just speaking plainly. So why does Jesus choose to teach that way? Well, uh, some people suggest that it's because parables are great teaching tools. They're concrete and memorable. Uh, they connect with everyday life. And so Jesus teaches with parables in order to make things as clear as possible. But there are a couple of problems with that theory. First problem, Jesus' parables aren't always clear. That's why his disciples have to ask him what it means. And from verse 11, Jesus will explain what this particular parable means. But first, in verse 10, he answers our question of why it is that he teaches in parables at all. And spoiler alert, it's not to make things as clear as possible. Let's have a look at what he says and find out. Verse 10, Jesus said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing... That is, despite hearing, they may not understand. Now here Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 6, and he says he teaches in parables why. Is it so that as many people will understand as clearly as possible? No, quite the opposite. 
It's so that despite seeing, people may not really see what's going on. Despite hearing Jesus' words, they might not fully understand his message, the full meaning of what he's saying. So Jesus says he doesn't teach in parables to make things as clear as possible, but rather to conceal his meaning from those who have hard hearts. It's a similar idea to what Jesus says down in verse 18. If you have a look in your Bibles, you can see it there, verse 18. He says, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. So to those who have, more will be given. That is, to those who have soft hearts, parables teach and help them understand more about God's kingdom. That can be a helpful teaching tool. But to those who do not have, that is, those who don't have soft hearts, those who are hard-hearted and unwilling to listen to Jesus, parables actually have the function and purpose of concealing the message from them because they don't understand it. What's the farmer? What's the soils? I don't get it. Who cares? Off onto my day, off into my week. So Jesus' parables are like a two-pronged fork. They have two very different effects on two very different groups of people. It's to reveal his message to some and to conceal it from others. Now, you might be thinking, isn't this unfair? Isn't this unfair to those on the outside who don't get the same opportunity to hear what Jesus is saying? But it's important to clarify. Jesus does preach the gospel to everyone. He didn't discriminate. Notice back in verse 1 of Luke 8. Notice what it says, Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus traveled about from, from one village, um, I don't know, it says one, two village, uh, one village to another, proclaiming the good news, that is the gospel, of the kingdom of God. He's doing it to all and sundry, to one village and another. He's not sharing the gospel only with some. He scatters that seed indiscriminately. <laughs> Open to anyone, which is kind of the point of the parable, as we'll soon see. So the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to everyone, but the secrets of the kingdom and what it's like are only revealed to those who choose to come with Jesus, to Jesus with soft hearts and find out more. What this shows us is that Jesus exposes people's hearts and divides them into groups. He exposes what's really going on on the inside. The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same parables which melt some to repentance will harden the hearts of those who have closed themselves off to Jesus. Jesus gives people what they want. So that's why Jesus chooses to teach in parables. There are two-pronged fork, an invitation to those who want to come to him, but they conceal the message from those who have already decided to reject him. That's why Jesus teaches in parables, but let's look at the meaning of this parable in particular. What does it actually mean? Well, have a look in your Bibles with me from verse 11, where Jesus explains. He says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes away and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, notice here that Jesus says the seed represents the word of God. Now, when Christians use the term word of God, we usually use that phrase to refer to the Bible, and that's an appropriate thing to call it, absolutely. 
But it's worth being aware that the majority of the time that the Bible itself uses the phrase Word of God, it's not referring to just the Bible in general, but to something more specific. The phrase the Word of God in the Bible overwhelmingly refers to the Gospel. It's this same Gospel, this Word of God, this God's message, salvation. This same Gospel that Jesus was proclaiming back in verse 1. And you could sum up this Gospel this good news of the kingdom, like this. It's the message that Jesus is God's king who's come to save his people and judge his enemies. There's a few different ways you can summarize the gospel, but I think that's a pretty good way to sum it up. Jesus is God's king who's come to save his people and judge his enemies. It's the gospel in a nutshell. And it's important to note that the saving and judging are really two sides of the same coin. God can't save his people unless he judges the enemies who are opposed to them. And so that is the word of God, the message of God, which is the seed that is sown in Jesus' parable. And notice something really important. The same seed is sown in all four places. It's not four different seeds, four different messages for different groups of people. No, it's one seed... One unchanging gospel message that everyone needs to hear. It's just that there are four different responses to that one gospel message. And so the first response, the seed sown on the path, represents those who reject the gospel message. Their hearts are hard and unresponsive, so the devil comes and snatches it away. Others are responsive for a time but don't bear fruit. And some receive and produce a great harvest. But although the responses are different, the seed stays the same. The same gospel is rejected by some, but received by others. And there's a key application for us here. We must not change the gospel to try to make it more appealing to people. Sometimes the temptation can be, or maybe people would be a bit more receptive if we just change the gospel a little. Like, yeah, that stuff about Jesus saving people, that's great. Like, let's talk about God's love and stuff. But that stuff about Jesus being king who judges his enemies and and calls people to repent and obey him, nah, that's just not popular in this day and age. Let's ignore that stuff and just focus on the love and forgiveness. That might be the temptation, but no, Jesus does not leave that option open to us. He says the same message needs to be shared with everyone. So on one level, that is a warning for us here this morning against watering down the message. It's a warning But it's also an encouragement. It shows us that we shouldn't be surprised when people reject the true gospel message. We should be saddened, yes, but not surprised. Jesus is guarding us against naive expectations. He's showing us that if we share the gospel with someone and they reject it, it doesn't necessarily mean we've done something wrong. It's just that the seed is falling on hard and unreceptive soil. Jesus is preparing us to expect that many will reject the gospel even if we preach it faithfully. So that's the first soil, uh, the seed that fell along the path. Now second, look at, let's look at that second soil, the rocky places. Uh, have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while But in time of testing, they fall away. 
Now, unlike the first soil that uh, rejects the gospel outright, this second person initially receives the gospel with joy. But they don't have deep roots, and so when hard times come, they turn away from Jesus. Uh, Todd White is an American evangelist who's been doing ministry for many years, but was known for being part of the prosperity gospel movement. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the prosperity gospel, but it's a distortion of Christianity that teaches that if you follow Jesus, you'll receive prosperity and healing and blessing in this life. And Todd White was a well-known member of that movement for many years. But a couple of years ago, a video came out of him giving a sermon where he was openly repenting of his errors, repenting of the false gospel that he had been preaching. Now, it's important to know that over the years, a lot of people had been converted through his ministry, people giving their lives to Christ. But he described in this sermon that he gave about how recently, for the first time, he actually looked at the records that they'd kept of people who gave their life to Christ. And he discovered that 85% of them had later fallen away and stopped following Jesus. 85%. And he was heartbroken He was confused. Why was this happening? And he shares that he came to realize that a big reason it was happening in such large numbers is that he had been preaching a distortion of the gospel. At one point in his talk, he says, and I quote, It's hard for me because I feel like I haven't preached the whole gospel, and I repent. He'd preached the love and forgiveness of Jesus, but not about the sin and judgment that we deserve that God has graciously saved us from. He preached about the joy that comes from knowing Jesus, but not the suffering and persecution that we'll face in this life as followers of Jesus, which we just sang about in the song before. He had given people this naive expectation that if you trust in Jesus, you'll have prosperity and your life will be easy. And so people came in droves, sign me up, easy life, I'll take it. They received that so-called gospel with joy, But when the time of testing came, they weren't prepared. They didn't have deep roots. I mean, really, they'd never really trusted their lives to Jesus to begin with. They'd simply seen him as a means to an end, as something to make them happy. So when Jesus didn't make them happy anymore, when times of testing came, they got rid of him and walked away. So Todd White was heartbroken as he shares this, and he repents of this watered-down gospel he'd been preaching And then he shares a story he had heard that really convicted him, a story that illustrates the difference between a watered-down gospel and the true gospel. Here's the story. This is what he shared. He said, Picture two men who are seated on a plane. A stewardess gives the first man a parachute and instructs him to put it on because it will improve his flight. Not understanding how a parachute... Uh, Could it possibly improve the flight? The first passenger is a little sceptical, but finally he decides to see if the claim is true. After strapping on the parachute, he notices it's heavy and uncomfortable. He has difficulty even sitting upright. Consoling himself with the promise of a better flight, our first passenger decides to give it a little time. But because he's the only one wearing a parachute, some of the other passengers begin smirking and teasing him. And so unable to stand any longer, He unstraps the parachute and throws it on the floor. Disillusionment and bitterness fill his heart because as far as he's concerned, he was told a lie. Then there's a second person. Another stewardess gives the second man a parachute, but listen to her instructions. 
She tells him to put it on, not because it'll improve his flight or make it more comfortable, but because at any moment, he's going to be jumping out of the plane at 25,000 feet. Our second passenger gratefully puts it on. He doesn't mind its weight on his shoulders. His mind is consumed with the thought of what would happen if he jumped without it. When the other passengers laugh at him, he's thinking, it's not funny. You're going to need a parachute too. The first man's motive for putting on the parachute was solely to improve his flight. And as a result, he walked away from it. I'll never put that thing on again. The second man, however, put on the parachute to escape the danger of the upcoming jump because he knew what would happen to him without it. And he had a deep-rooted joy and his attitude toward the stewardess who gave him the parachute was one of heartfelt gratitude. You see what this story is illustrating? The first one is a me-centred gospel. Come to Jesus because it will improve your life. But it's a lie. It's only using Jesus as a means to an end, and it will end in disillusionment. And that's one of the big reasons that we must not change the gospel, like we saw before. A watered-down gospel will not save anyone. The true gospel is that Jesus is both Saviour and Lord, that he's the one who saves and judges. That Jesus calls us to repent, to deny ourselves, and take up our cross and follow him. The gospel is not a ticket to a comfortable life. And the clearer each one of us are on that, the deeper our roots will be. So that we can stand firm when the times of testing come. Now to be clear, even when we do preach the true gospel... Jesus is saying that some will initially receive it with joy, but then later turn away. But if we water down the gospel to try to make it more attractive, we will only make it more and more likely that people have shallow roots and fall away. So that's the second soil, the rocky ground. And third, Jesus says that some seed falls among thorns. Have a look in your Bibles with me. At verse 14, Jesus said, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So similar to the second soil, this person initially hears the gospel and takes it to heart, but later runs into problems. This time, however, notice that it's not hardship that leads to problems, but comfort. It's life's worries and riches and pleasures that end up choking this person's faith so they don't produce the fruit God desires. Now, this is a big warning for us, especially given that we live in Australia where we have extremely comfortable lives. Uh, Never mind the super rich, you know, it's always possible to look to someone who has more than us. But even just your average Aussie or your below average Aussie in terms of socioeconomic status enjoys a level of comfort that even kings from 500 years ago couldn't get. Aircon, fridge, running water, smartphone, I mean, even a dumb phone. It's far better than what people had back in Jesus' day, isn't it? So the danger is we think, oh yeah, other people, it's the super rich, they've got to look out. But the reality is it's each one of us that has to look out, living in the context that we do. For those of us here today who trust in Jesus, we've got to ask ourselves, am I in danger 
of allowing wealth and comfort to slowly start to get a stranglehold on me? Are they holding me back from maturing? Now you can ask that from a big picture level or, or, or zoom in. I mean, let's think big picture level for a moment. We're at a time of year when a lot of people are making decisions about what they might do next year. Work, study, part-time job, ministry opportunities, serving at church, all kinds of things. So it's worth asking, as you weigh up what you might do next year or beyond, how much is your decision-making being influenced by life's worries, riches, and pleasures? How much is your decision-making being influenced by what is most comfortable for you rather than what is most honouring to God and loving to others? Those are important questions to ask ourselves, aren't they? That's a big picture level, but it's also true of smaller decisions. In the last week, how much of the way I've used my time and money was based around my own comfort rather than seeking to honour God and grow in maturity as a disciple of Jesus? If you're anything like me, those are challenging but important questions to ask because my heart is far too easily swayed by what's most comfortable. So that's the third soil, the seed among thorns. And finally, the good soil. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 15. Jesus says, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So all four heard the gospel, but it's only this last one, the good soil, that produces a crop. So we've got to ask, what is it that separates this one from the others? What makes the difference? Well, according to Jesus, it's nothing fancy. It's simply someone with a soft heart that's receptive, who hears the word, retains it, holds on to it, and perseveres. Day by day, step by step, putting God's word into practice. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing dramatic. It's nothing that would catch news headlines. It's just someone who day by day is making decisions to say, I'm going to put you first, Jesus, rather than myself and what I want to do. That's all it is. It's similar to what you see down in verse 21, when Jesus commends as family, as his brother and sisters and mother, anyone who hears God's word and puts it into practice. That's all it is. It's nothing fancy or complicated. It's not impressive. I mean, if you've ever watched a plant bear fruit, if you're into gardening or anything like that, it's slow. It's gradual. But the long-term result is profound. And that's the image Jesus uses to describe someone whose heart is soft and receptive to his word. Day by day, step by step, putting God's word into practice. Now in this parable, Jesus has told us about four soils, four different responses that someone might have to the gospel. So it's worth asking, which kind of soil do you want to be? Now notice I've been quite intentional in how I phrase that question. The question is not which soil are you, but which soil do you want to be? And that's significant because, you know, it's possible that someone could hear this parable. It's easy to misunderstand it. It's easy to hear this parable and think, oh no, that first soil, or that second soil, or that third soil, 
whichever it is, that sounds like me. I must be doomed. There's no hope for first soils like me. That's just how I am. But Jesus is not saying that at all. Remember what he said back in verse 8 after he told the parable? He said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Notice he's calling out. He doesn't say, whoever thinks they're predestined to be the fourth soil, let them hear. No, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear. It's an open invitation to anyone. If you're here this morning and you happen to have ears, which I haven't looked closely, but I think is most of us, then Jesus is putting this invitation to you. An invitation to not only hear, but to also be mindful of how you hear. Remember in verse 18, he says, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. The parable of the four soils is not a Myers-Briggs test where you, know, you fill out a little survey and it just so happens that you're wired one way and you just can't help who you are. No, not at all. This is not fixed. Jesus is giving us an invitation. Consider carefully how you listen. So the question is not which kind of soil am I, but which kind of soil do I want to be? This is the all-important question because it is our heart that really governs whether or not we'll listen to Jesus. You know, a lot of people think the main objections to Christianity are intellectual, that the problem is a lack of historical or scientific evidence. But if there really was a lack of historical evidence, why are there so many world-class historians who see their field as presenting such strong evidence for Christianity? If there really was a contradiction between science and Christianity, why are there so many world-class scientists who see perfect harmony between them? Francis Collins is the geneticist who led the Human Genome Project, a groundbreaking effort that took over a decade in identifying, mapping and sequencing all the genes in the human genome. And in his book, The Language of God, Collins writes, in this modern era of cosmology, evolution, the human genome, is there still the possibility of a richly satisfying harmony between the scientific and spiritual worldviews? I answer with the resounding yes. In my view, he says, there is no conflict between being a rigorous scientist and a person who believes in a God who takes a personal interest in each one of us. There's not a lack of evidence out there for world-class scientists and many others like him believe in God and listen to Jesus. So if the problem is not a lack of evidence, what is it? The problem is not a lack of evidence. The problem is the lens through which each of us choose to view the evidence. The problem is our hearts, which bias us to reject the evidence because of our a priori assumptions and presuppositions. So if you're here this morning and you're not yet trusting in Jesus or if, you, if you're throwing th- these, laying them up, we're so glad that you're here. If that's you, don't just consider the evidence, as important as that is, also consider your own heart. Or to use Jesus' language, consider carefully how you listen. Maybe you're here and you know that deep down, your heart is hard. You have closed yourself off towards Jesus and that's affecting how you view things. It's affecting how you view the evidence. It's affecting how you listen to what Jesus says even this morning. If you're sitting here right now and you you realize that that is you, then see this 
parable from Jesus as an invitation from him. Take him up on that invitation. Come to him in prayer and say, Jesus, I want to be more open to you. Please, Jesus, soften my heart so that I'm more open to listening to what you have to say. And I guarantee that if you're willing to pray that prayer, that that is a sign that already God is at work in your heart to soften it, to draw you to himself. For each one of us today, no matter where we're at with Jesus, this parable of the four soils is not only a challenge, but an invitation. Whether we feel our hearts have been hard, whether we've been following a me-centered gospel that's all about us, or whether we've been feeling the pull of wealth and comfort. So which kind of soil do you want to be? Let me lead us in prayer as we think about that question together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus. Thank you for the good news of the kingdom that we've been reminded of this morning. That Jesus is your king who came to save his people and judge his enemies. Father, thank you for how Jesus not only reveals you to us, but also exposes our hearts to help us grow in self-awareness of where we stand before you. For those of us who are following Jesus but struggling with the pull of wealth and comfort, help us to fix our eyes on the eternal reward to come and so release us from the grip of the short-term comforts that would choke us. And Father, for those who feel their hearts have been hard, please soften it even this very moment, and draw them to yourself. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.